Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, Daniel Smith's critics say there's no way to justify Alberta sending a delegation to Dubai for the UN Climate Change Convention. Her supporters say that's where business is done, and Alberta would be foolish to miss out. In this episode, National Observer lead columnist Max Fawcett tells us where he lands before getting into the Alberta NDP's upcoming leadership race and Pierre Polyev's viral housing video. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. All right, we're talking about COP28, the climate conference. We're going to talk about Canada's housing crisis and Pierre Polyev's video that has 3 million views talking about it. Like one out of every 12 Canadians has already watched it. It's been out for just a few days. What does that say? What should we read into that? Plus, does the Alberta NDP need a rebrand? All of this coming up with Max Fawcett in just a quick second. But there's a couple things I want to mention first. When's the last time you checked out RyanJesperson.com? Specifically in the top right-hand corner. You see there we've got our events link right now you go to ryanjesperson.com slash events and you will find that registration is open for our annual our third annual real talk pond hockey classic it's coming up on saturday february 3rd and you can click on the link to volunteer to sponsor the event or of course to register your team of up to six skaters we're partnering with the canadian progress club you know they've raised over 1.3 million dollars over the past 20 years or so and we're so proud to partner with them on this event it promises to be an amazing day a celebration of canadiana we're capping it at 24 teams and it will sell out so you don't want to miss out make sure you register today for the real talk pond hockey classic And in the meantime, if you're looking to get your team the industry's best safety training, I want to point you in the direction of Danatech.com today. Danatech's been Alberta's safety training leader for more than three decades, and their courses are designed by experts with real on-the-job experience, so they're actually going to make a difference on your job site. You're going to save lost time injuries. You're going to stay compliant with changing regulations. Plus, you'll save money on training with Danatech. Big companies across Canada are using Danatech. Wemis, TDG, electrical, lifting device courses for good reason. Plus, they've got a catalog of more than 150 courses across all industries. Visit danatech.com today to see their courses and find out more about bulk discounts. Oh, hey, it's going to be a good one today. It is, and I, I know that Max it. is ready to go. we got a million things to talk about. Yeah. Hey, uh, friends. Did you happen to see our TikTok yesterday? I said, hey, Premier, you're being widely Premier. criticized for taking 100 people to cough. She says we're taking like six. So I'm not going to read through the whole list of 100. So you've got like Invest Alberta, Innotech Alberta, Métis Nation of Alberta, Alberta Securities Commission, Alberta Innovates, Alberta Industrial Heartland Association, Alberta Indigenous Opportunities Corporation, and, and the list goes on. If Rachel Notley was taking 100 people to Dubai for COP, the message from the left would be, look at this. Canada's energy capital is taking climate so seriously that we're sending a hundred people to cop. But Ryan, there's a reputation for not telling the truth. Sure. If she isn't telling you the truth, why aren't you upset about that? Well, well, how do you know she's not telling me the truth? Are all of those people that you mentioned on the list, are they attending on their own dime? I'd just like to find out how many people on that list are being paid by the Alberta government. She told you that she's only taking six. If Rachel Notley was taking a big delegation, they would think it was awesome. Just curious about whether or not the public is paying for it who cares it's a lot of money 
That was Charles Adler on yesterday's Real Talk. Of course, he joins us the first episode of every single week. Uh, before we get to Max Fawcett, I want to let you know we've heard directly from the Premier's office. They listen to the show. And here's what a spokesperson said. Most of the members of the Alberta delegation are paying their own way to COP through their respective organizations. This includes private industry representation. Alberta's budget supports the attendance of 22 officials, including Premier, Minister of Environment and Protected Areas, Minister Schultz, six political staff, nine departmental staff, and five officials to support First Nations participation, including Indian Resources Canada, Athabasca Chippewan First Nation, Excelsius Capital, uh, Carnative Energy, and Heart Lake First Nation, as well as five members from the Premier's security detail. Alberta's government agencies will support the attendance of 10 officials. Each agency will cover their costs from respective budgets, and all expenses will be publicly posted. They said, we're not even close to paying for 100 people. Uh, Premier's husband, David, is paying his own way. And uh, this from the Premier's office, Catherine Carruthers, who former Deputy Premier Thomas Lukasik publicly shamed on Twitter, this is from the Premier's office, isn't even on the trip. Uh, with all that, says the spokesperson, I'm not sure everybody from all the agencies will show up, so some of these numbers are fluid. As we say hello to the lead columnist, at Canada's National Observer and a good friend of this show, Max Fawcett. It's nice to see your face, and thanks for making time for us this morning, Max. Happy to be here this morning, Ryan. Uh, people are pointing out in, in responses to mine and Charles's exchange yesterday that maybe comparing Danielle Smith's motives at COP28 and comparing what Rachel Notley's motives might be uh, at COP28 if she were premier is apples and oranges. Uh, what do you make of Alberta sending a delegation of 100 people over to Dubai? Um, I mean, I think it's a little bit excessive uh, just in terms of the numbers. I know the, the NDP government, I think they sent like six or seven to the COP conference uh, when they were in power. But, you know, they have a message that they want to send. And and this is the place to do it. That, that sort of the defining aspect of this COP is that there's this huge influx of delegates from oil and gas companies and oil producing nations. Um, and obviously we're a part of that. I, my problem comes in two places. The, the first place is I'm a little I'm a little annoyed, and this is sort of a familiar annoyance for me. But I'm annoyed by the by the lack of commentary from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation because they would be jumping down any progressive government's throat if they sent this many people, 22 people, uh, to an international climate conference. Uh, they would be up in arms about it. They would be, you know, uh, counting every penny and saying what an outrage it is, uh, an affront to taxpayers. But this is consistent. They're always quiet when it's the, the Smith government or the Ford government or the Mo government or any government that is a conservative government. You know, they haven't said, I believe, I don't think they've said a word about the Tylenol fiasco. Um, you know, they were very quiet about Jason Kenney's ill-fated uh, investment in Keystone XL. So this is sort of on brand for them. They they get conveniently quiet whenever the taxpayers in question uh, are, are being impacted by conservative governments. The the other aspect is hey, let me let me jump in real quick though. We're not yep. talking about we're not talking about the auditor general. Like like a lot of people don't even take the Canadian Taxpayers Federation seriously. It's 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 not like this is a breakdown of some sort of check and balance, right? I mean, this is a an independent organization that that is what it is. Would you agree? It is, but as long it is, is an organization that punches far above its far above its deserved weight, and, and as long as journalists and as long as media companies are going to continue to quote them in stories, and even build stories around their reports, I'm going to keep calling out their bullshit. Fair. That's just that's why I'm here. Yep. Um, the other aspect of it that that I find sort of confusing is the premier is going there talking about 
you know, there's a tweet this morning about how, uh, you know, there's these amazing opportunities in renewables in Alberta, and she's telling the story of Alberta's, you know, amazing opportunities. And, and it's just so disconnected from the way she talks about things here. Um, you know, she can barely talk about wind and solar in Alberta without sort of uh, uh, without spitting on the ground. Uh, she's she's so contemptuous of those technologies. And yet she's in COP, she's in Dubai, apparently selling Alberta as a place where where you can make these great investments in, in renewable energy and technology. So there's just a massive disconnect between her rhetoric overseas and her rhetoric in Alberta. And I think it's naive to think that the investment community is not aware of that, that, that they don't understand that she's talking out of both sides of her mouth here and, and that they don't understand what the reality on the ground is, which is that Alberta put this moratorium in on wind and solar. Uh, it is it is pretty clearly hostile towards anything that is not oil and gas or oil and gas related. And I think it's just going to be an impossible sale uh, for anyone who's paying attention. Mm, yeah, I, I was talking to Minister Newdorf uh, just last week. Uh, at a social event, I said, hey, when can we expect that report on that wind and solar moratorium? I know a lot of people are waiting to see it. Um, he said, uh, and, and I kind of smirked, I said, you know, this might get out, this might be made public if you give me a specific date. He said, well, not a date, he said, but I'd expect to see it out in January. So that's, I mean, I know that, you know, for some people, the political watchers, it might feel like that moratorium has flown by. It's gone quickly, not for the people that have been waiting to work on those projects, not the people that have had, uh, in some cases, their livelihoods either put on pause or or maybe even have lost jobs over it. So it's obviously a really big deal. Let's bring it back to COP. For people that don't know, I mean, there's a lot of talk. It's it's kind of like the UN Climate Change Conference. This is this is where everybody shows up and, and, and the critics say, you know, how rich that everybody's flying their jets there. We could be doing this over Zoom. Nothing ever comes of it. Uh, nothing ever materializes out of the agreements. The proponents of it say this is where you've got to be if you want to have meaningful conversations about global efforts to combat climate change. And quite frankly, if you want to do business, uh, where do you land? I agree on, on the on the doing business part, um, but you have to have a business proposition that people can actually believe in. And she has spent so much time, her government has spent so much time uh, sort of advertising their can't do attitude on, on anything to do with climate change, that it's going to be very jarring for investors to see, you know, the premier and her team uh, suddenly swinging around and saying, no, no, this is a great place to invest. We're, we're a stable jurisdiction. Uh, we're definitely not invoking sovereignty acts and picking fights with Ottawa and destabilizing the rule of law. No, no, we're, we're actually a great place to go. It's just not you, you can't undo the damage she's done to Alberta's business case for for low carbon and renewable investment uh, over the last you know year and a half. You can't undo that in five days. Um, you can lay the groundwork maybe for for future business, for future meetings. Uh, you can get people interested, but she's got to walk the talk, right? Uh, she can she can talk a big game or officials can talk a big game in, at COP, but it, if there isn't substance behind it, uh, then it really doesn't matter. It's just a nice vacation uh, for all those people who got to go there. And and look, like I think you, you can kind of really zero this in with the, with the methane announcement that the federal government made uh, yesterday at COP where, you know, they said they were aiming for, for a 75% reduction in methane emissions from the oil and gas industry by 2030. The, the United States has agreed to the same target. And, and the premier and her environment minister talked about it like it was this impossible, uh, unfathomable environmental imposition, except for the fact that that targets in their own emissions reduction plan, the one that they put out to Albertans before the last election, the exact same target. Actually, theirs was 5% higher. They said they would seek to find a path to 80% methane reductions by 2030. Uh, so 
this disconnect between the way they talk about things and and then the way they uh, you know legislate or, or or behave around them in Alberta just it's not good for investment. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. Um, uh, w- real quick note here. This from DK Gray. I know you know DK. He was on the show a couple of months ago in the summer. Really enjoyed our conversation with him. Um, he, he says, uh, just sort of you know, fact-checking or throwing a number out there, he says back in 2016, a uh, cop in Paris, Alberta sent 13 delegates, uh, Rachel Notley, uh, Shannon Phillips, uh, minister at that time, obviously, their staff and security said their cost covered by the feds, which was about 80 grand. Um, I'll take David's word on it. Uh, I'm sure he's right. Probably. Uh, and if he's wrong, somebody call David. Don't call me. Uh, but uh, interesting there. A lot of people point out to me yesterday. As a matter of fact, Max, why don't we take a look? We, we just pulled a few uh, random replies uh, to my tweet. Um, here's an example of like who's over there, for example. This is uh, Ted Bauer, who's obviously worked in ministries before, but but he's over there, you know, representing uh, Edmonton Global Energy for a Secure Future. They're talking about, you know, energy security and those types of things. Said they'll be there on Climate Leadership Day. He's facilitating some conversations with, with indigenous investors and, and uh, stakeholders, which is an an interesting one of course an interesting angle Lori says to us you know i'd be to be honest with you more pissed disappointed and vocal if rachel notley took 100 people to cop uh, says the cost to taxpayers uh you know right to that he says money being more effective elsewhere a huge sore point uh, for Lori. He says in the last two weeks let's just count how many rural hospitals are closed due to lack of doctors or nurses you know ERs shutting down she says i have a book of lists and this stunt she says danielle smith's delegation there is bullshit uh, so I said to Lori, listen, I agree with you. I said healthcare staffing shortages are definitely an emergency situation. But I, I pointed out to her, I don't think it's predominantly funding related. I think that there's challenges around recruiting and retention. And, and she says, well, listen, that costs money, right? With Alberta hurting so bad from inflation, unemployment, uh, intentional stalls on projects, Max, like you were just talking about. She says homelessness, lack of housing, lack of transparency. She says this was purely a dick move to parade bad relations with the feds. She says climate deniers at a climate conference. That's Lori's comment. T-Bone says, I don't think, honestly, I would applaud Notley sending 100 delegates to COP on the taxpayer's dime, especially if the goal was to disrupt climate change initiatives. Doing so, as the UCP is doing, is a pretty big slap in the face. Meantime, Whiskey says, hey, listen, Smith is advocating for Alberta. There's a big difference between Smith and Notley's agenda. I don't know if that's a fair comment, but people can decide for themselves. So that's kind of like a snippet of what the general public had to say on it. Now, what do you think Rachel Notley would do in this circumstance? A lot of people are saying she would know her role. She would know this is federal jurisdiction. She wouldn't attend without an invitation. I don't buy that. I think that's a little submissive for a premier. I think it's a bit of a a lazy or maybe just a naive Twitter storyline. But uh, how do you think Rachel Notley would manage it, all things considered, where the economy's at, where global business is at, where some of Alberta's new initiatives are at? I mean, a $12 billion project announced with Dow Chemical. I mean, there's things happening here, right? I think Rachel Notley would have a remarkable story to tell uh, at, at COP, and she would be so much better positioned than Daniel Smith to actually sell it. Um, she would be able to, you know, assuming her government had continued the work that it did uh, from 26 or 2015 to 2019, would be able to point to the climate leadership plan. It would be able to point to all these initiatives that it had brought forward, things that it had actually done to try to reduce emissions and attract low low carbon capital. And I think it would be the hit, you know, it'd be one of the stars of COP. It would be one of the she'd be one of the hits um, because her message would be honest. It would have integrity. It wouldn't be confusing to people. It would be easily sort of digested and understood. Um, and she'd probably be able to take back a lot of big wins to Alberta. But 
you know, as I said, the problem with Danielle Smith is that she is taking all this baggage with her to cop of the things she has done, you know, the moratoriums, the attacks on renewables, the way she talks about electric vehicles, the way she talks about all the things uh, that people at this conference believe are, are solutions to climate change. And you can't spin these people. They're not idiots, um, especially the, you know, the investors that are there. So, uh, you know, I think Rachel Notley would be uh, a fantastic ambassador for the, for the Alberta that she was trying to create. I think Danielle Smith is sort of caught between two worlds here. She, she understands on an intellectual level, I think, that this is the direction the world is going, that we have to decarbonize. You know, you see that in the, 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 her government's emissions reduction plan where they, they committed to net zero by 2050. You know, no indication of how they plan to get there, but they at least had, you know, admitted or agreed to the target and, and you know, agreed to methane reduction targets. But then whenever you talk about a technology or a way of getting to those targets, she acts like it, it you know, it is an, an, uh, an intolerable imposition. It is, you know, it is some sort of uh, constitutional affront. It is, it is offensive to the very sort of soul of Alberta. And, and those two things just don't line up. Uh, and that's that sort of hypocrisy and that uh, sort of contradiction is going to be on display for anyone who's meeting with her or her delegation right now. Alberta girl in the chat wonders, when did COP become just another trade show? Uh, maybe that's a fair comment. Uh, this from Ken, who says, I would correct, Max. It was the UCP 1.0's emission plan. He says the UCP 2.0 doesn't believe in it. He says there are two, com- there are two completely different parties, uh, with the exception of some who are taking home big minister salaries. Is, is that a fair comment? Was, was Jason Kenny's uh, emissions plan dramatically different or? No, it was Daniel Smith's. It was no. hers before the election. Like they dropped it right, you know, right before the election um, as a fig leaf. Uh, and and clearly to some extent it worked because they got reelected. But, you know, let's be clear. J- Jason Kenny's version of the UCP never uh, put forward this sort of a, you know, uh, an emissions reduction plan. They agreed uh, to keep the the industrial carbon pricing system that the NDP had created in place. Uh, largely at the behest of investors and and the oil and gas industry, but no, it was it was Smith's version that that put forward the emissions reduction plan, uh, which is you know why it's so odd that now she's basically pretending that parts of it are are unconstitutional or will you know cost the industry billions and billions of dollars, when even the industry has said basically reducing methane emissions uh, is is a low or no cost uh, activity right now. Uh, you know, that, that, that it is not, it is not a burden. It is not an imposition. Um, she's just all over the map on this stuff. And at some point, uh, these inconsistencies are going to come home to roost. Hey, just, just for fun, uh, just to put you on the spot for our pure entertainment, Max, how would you say, and, and I'll let everybody know, uh, and this is coming up a little bit later in our conversation. You've, you've now taken, I think your ninth or 10th sip from a massive and oversized Racky Pancholi coffee mug, which I, I'm, I'm wondering if this is subtle signaling around who Max thinks might be the next leader of the Alberta NDP and potentially the next premier of Alberta. That's coming up a little bit later on in the show. But just to put you on the spot for our entertainment, how, how would you characterize the difference between the UCP under Jason Kenney, the UCP under Daniel Smith? What is, and you can talk about leadership style, policy, a relationship with Ottawa, whatever you think, wide open question. How is it most demonstrably different? I, I think that the UCP under Jason Kenney was much more of a, a Stephen Harper style conservative party. Um, he's comfortable in the presence of experts. He is, you know, for all of his talk about the the blue truck and uh, being a man of the people, he's he is a Laurentian elite. 
Uh, I've said this before. He is the most Laurentian elite I think Alberta's ever had as a premier. Um, you know, he was comfortable in in these sorts of international spaces and and obviously didn't buy any of that, you know, World Economic Forum stuff. Uh, you know, he trusted science. He trusted experts. He disagreed with them. He probably thought he was smarter than most of them, but uh, he certainly trusted them. And so it was a bit more of a um, institutional or, or a, you know, uh, a blue uh conservative party, you know, more comfortable in ridings like Calgary Elbow, uh, you know, where there's lots of lawyers and bankers and things like that. Smith's version is very much more of a rural party. She she is a populist. She is a, you know, she is a, a woman of the people. And, 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 and in that respect, she really is. Um, she's much more, I think, in touch with her grassroots. Uh, she's much better at dealing with people, at meeting people, at charming people uh, than Kenny ever was. I think she's much more comfortable around people. Um, and, and much more comfortable around um, uh, common people, I guess, is, you know, the, the parlance that Pierre Polyev is using. And I think that that is to her advantage. It, it shows, it works. It's why she was able to, you know, win the leadership and, and win the, the provincial election. Now, how long can that hold? You know, how long can she maintain that rural base without getting sort of pulled in the other direction by, by events, by something that happens, uh, you know, whether it's in six weeks or six months? Hard to say, but I, I do think that, that sort of difference in where their power comes from and where their comfort lies uh, is kind of the key differentiate key differentiator between the two. Nice. We're talking to Max Fawcett. He is the lead columnist for Canada's uh, National Observer. When we, we come back, I want to I want to jump there. But Max has argued in his column within the last two weeks that the Alberta NDP doesn't need a rebrand. We'll be talking to Dave Cornwyer about that tomorrow as well, by the way, on Wednesday's episode. But Max says they do need a new leader. So who's it going to be? That's coming up in less than two minutes. Uh, this conversation is presented by Real Talk partners like our friends at California Closets who want to remind you this is the time of year where you're going to remember you're going down into the basement to, to grab your menorah or your Christmas tree or the wreath or the lights or the extension cords. You can't find anything right and then never mind the winter coats they're all piled up somewhere maybe in a black garbage bag behind the extra orphan socks in the laundry oh my goodness i'm getting anxiety just thinking about it why not get your life on track with a custom closet a storage solution for anywhere in the home from california closets it all starts with a free design consultation where you can learn more about their approach they can work with any budget you'll find them online at california closets Ca. You know, all this talk about motivation and moving forward and the new era of energy economy and all that kind of stuff. If you're a young person or, or maybe even midlife and you're looking for new opportunities, may we recommend you take two seconds to check out nate.ca slash business. The Nate J.R. Shaw School of Business is for those who are dreaming of leading teams and making a real impact on the world. Maybe you want an education that could lead you to a fulfilling career in thriving and growing industries. It's one of Canada's leading polytechnic business educators. They'll harness your inner talent, build your skills, and feed your curiosity. You have talent, they have connections. You have drive, they have direction. You have purpose, they can apply it. Check out nate.ca slash business. Kubi Energy is hiring. This is a shout out to those of you that are electricians. You've got your ticket or maybe you're an apprentice. Maybe you're unemployed right now. You're underemployed or maybe you're working more than you want for a company you can't even stand. 
Kubi's ever-expanding team is in search of talented individuals to help Western Canada remain a leader on the renewable energy front. They're looking for electricians to add to crews in Edmonton and Calgary. You can check out their website. Find a position that's right for you. You're looking for the careers link at kubienergy.ca. And before we get back to Max, I wanted to remind you how proud we are to be partnering with the team at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food. We've seen the health benefits of feeding our dogs Grand Dog Essentials for many, many years. And it's not just dogs either. They've got some great options for those cat lovers out there too. Check out the Shop Now link at granddog.ca, including their supplements. Really neat stuff like the Adored Beast Fido Synergy. It's 100% pure, sustainably grown marine phytoplankton. If there's one supplement to add into your pet's rotation, this is it. You can learn more again at granddog.ca. And a big shout out to them for their support of the Yam Niska Wolf Dog Sanctuary. When you eat Grand Dog Essentials raw food, you can proudly say that your pack is eating wolf dog approved food. I can't even believe this. They're donating more than 100 pounds of food every day for those Yamaniska wolf dogs in that beautiful sanctuary. You can learn more by following Grand Dog on Instagram. Hanging out with Max Fawcett. He is the lead columnist at Canada's National Observer. You can uh, read his columns at nationalobserver.com. And that's where Max has argued that the Alberta NDP does not need a rebrand. They don't need to try to fool people or trick them into thinking that there's no tie whatsoever to the federal NDP. Because there is. But Max argues the Alberta NDP does need a new leader. Why not a new name, Max? Number one, it's wasted energy. Um, you know, I don't think that the the NDP brand at this point is that terrifying or scary to, to the voters that they need to win. I'm, I know there are people who, um, you know, for them, that's a line they won't cross. But I don't think they're going to cross it if you change the name to the Alberta Democrats or the Alberta Liberal Democrats or the, whatever else it might be. I, I don't, think, I don't think they'd throw the word liberal in there. Do you? Well, good point. That's sort of that's yeah. like, yeah, that would be the worst possible name. But, <laughs> um, you know, short of the Alberta Trudeau lover party. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just I just think it's wasted, wasted effort. It misses the forest for the trees in terms of what they actually need. They're not going to win Calgarians over just by putting a new coat of paint on something. We're, we're not stupid down here. What they need is a leader who can speak to our needs, speak to our concerns, speak to our interests in the way and in the language that we sort of are comfortable hearing them in. Um, and, and Rachel Notley, for all of her many impressive talents, was always sort of speaking to Calgary as though it was a second language. Um, and, and, and that was clear to people, I think. They understood that, um, you know, she was an Edmontonian through and through, and there's nothing wrong with that. But they need to win seats here, not there. Uh, they need to win seats in Calgary and in the suburbs of Calgary, maybe some an extra one in Lethbridge or Red Deer. but you know, this is where the fight is. Um, and so a new brand is is not as important as the right leader. And I think that's the part they should focus on. They need to be making the party as big and welcoming and open as they possibly can. Um, and and that's the challenge in front of them. And that's a, that, you know, that's a big enough challenge to, to digest without adding in a new name on top of it. People love talking about leadership races because you, you get to speculate and it's like talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs or whatever you want. You, you get to sort of rank them and who are the favorites and, and who could come up the middle, Eddie Stelmack style, and, and, and win the leadership of the Alberta NDP. There's not really one heir apparent. Would you agree? I think so. 
yeah, there's definitely not a, you know, a Paul Martin to, to Jean Chrétien or anything like that. Um, there, there is a number, a handful of people, uh, mostly from Edmonton, some from Calgary, uh, and then obviously one from Lethbridge, who I used to work with, um, who uh, are, they come to everyone's list because they're talented, because they have, you know, experience in the party, and because uh, people like them. Uh, and, and I think a lot of how it shakes out will depend on the rules that the NDP chooses. Um, and, and certainly there's pressure or there will be pressure to shape those rules to certain people's advantage. Um, I, you know, again, I would argue that they need to make this as open uh, and welcoming as possible, not sort of constrain who can join the party or who can vote. But, um, you know, that, that's just my, my two cents. But, yeah, there, there is a short list. And I, I, you know, obviously I have, I have a, a preference. Uh, I mean, I am very thirsty this morning, but the, I did also choose that mug on purpose. Um, but, but there, there's a lot of interesting names in the hat. Okay. So like, I'll just let everybody know this show will cover this in fulsome fashion. This is not going to be the only conversation. We'll be equitable in our coverage and conversation. So what is it that you like about Racky? So to me, it comes down to the Calgary piece of the equation, right? We need a leader of the NDP, you know, if they're going to win the next election and, and sort of get the province back on track in terms of, of so many issues, they need to win more seats in Calgary. And I, I think some people have kind of boiled that down to, well, they need someone from Calgary to be their leader. And that's just, I don't see it that way at all. Uh, you can be from somewhere and not be of somewhere. You know, I'm, I'm from Vancouver, if you took me back to Vancouver and tried to run me for office, I would get my butt handed to me. Um, you know, Rocky is, she lives in Edmonton, um, but she speaks to Calgary and speaks of Calgary uh, the way Calgarians do. She fits in here so, so well. Um, she understands business. She understands uh, climate change. She understands the NDP's social responsibilities. She's really likable. Um, she likes people. You know, she, she works rooms really well. Uh, and she's smart. She's a lawyer. I have a, I have a soft spot for lawyers because of their ability to process a lot of information, uh, you know, sort of test different ideas, come to different conclusions. And, and she has that really agile and nimble brain um, that you need, I think, to be a great leader. So I, I've been impressed every time I've heard her speak or, uh, you know, met with her. And, and you know, the, the, she had an intervention in the, in, the, in the legislature this past week where she basically pointed out that that all of the UCP's climate uh, achievements were actually the result of NDP policies. And I thought the NDP should have been saying that for the past four years. Um, you know, they have been stealing from the NDP's playbook on this stuff, and the NDP refused to call them out. She finally did it, uh, and her colleagues followed in suit. So, you know, she has natural leadership skills, uh, and she can win, I think, in Calgary. Um, so, you know, that, that that's what draws me to her. Uh, that's why I think she'd be a great leader. But you know, everyone, of course, uh, has their own two cents on this stuff. If I was a betting man, I would, you know, probably bet a thousand dollars on the fact that Kathleen Ganley will seek the leadership. Obviously, nobody's announced it yet because Notley's not announced when she'll be taken off. But uh, what do you think Kathleen Ganley's future might look like with the Alberta NDP? She's been a high profile cabinet minister. She's been a justice minister, obviously has a solid reputation. Uh, she's from Calgary. Uh, which maybe gives her the, the leg up on, on some other candidates if people start to perceive that the leader needs to not just be relatable in Calgary or connected to Calgary, but from Calgary. Kathleen Ganley, what do you think? I think she's formidable. You know, she has the experience. Um, she she has, has served in these senior roles. She you know, clearly understands 
uh, oil and gas. That's been one of her critic portfolios. Um, you know, I, the thing to me for, for Rocky's people, you know, whoever ends up running her campaign, they need to make sure that the ballot question isn't who is from Calgary. They need to make sure they frame it as who is most likely to win in Calgary, uh, because if it's who's from Calgary, Kathleen Ganley is probably going to win. Uh, that wouldn't be a bad thing, by the way. She's like I said, she's very talented. Um, the thing for me, though, is, you know, having met enough politicians, probably too many uh, over the course of my my adult life, there's just some of them where you get that that little extra sparkle, you know, like there's just something about them that uh, that leaves you. Uh, I don't want to say starstruck because that's too much, but um, leaves you leaves you impressed. Uh, and I would say Daniel Smith has this in spades. Um, she is special when you meet her. She leaves you with a uh, an impression. And, and Rocky does as well. I think that's what differentiates her in my mind. But, um, you know, Kathleen Ganley versus Daniel Smith, that would be a formidable fight. Um, I think the NDP would be, you know, uh, would be in good shape there. I just think they'd be in better shape with Rocky. Yeah, uh, I would love to see Shannon Phillips uh, have an opportunity to shine in a debate. Um, she's, she's, she's got one of the, and this is, I mean, this as a huge compliment. Uh, she's got one of the sharpest tongues, uh, maybe in Alberta political history. She's whip smart. Um, she, she's obviously is, you know, kind of wears her heart on her sleeve on some things. She's, she's a professional, but she is, she can be polarizing, but I mean, what, what, you know, prominent politician isn't, uh, what do you think about Shannon Phillips as leader? I love Shannon. Uh, you know, I worked I worked with her, uh, not for her, as uh, some trolls like to point out, but I worked with her uh, in the in the public service. And she's amazing. She's so smart. Um, she is so tough. Uh, she is so uh, good at prosecuting a case. Uh, she doesn't back down from anyone. You know, I mean, it's no secret that women deal with uh, just an enormous volume of, of nonsense in politics that is 100 times bigger than the pile that men deal with. And and she just kind of eats it for breakfast, you know, like she doesn't, she doesn't uh, trifle with these, you know, these trolls online or people who call her names or things like that. She destroys them. Uh, and I love that about her. If she, if she's running, I mean, the thing that I've heard is that she's not running, that she doesn't want to run. Very possible. That she's, she's not interested. If she was interested, she is immediately one of the, you know, the top three. Yeah. Uh, if not, if not the, if not the front runner, um, because she can prosecute a case um, better than almost anyone I've ever met. Um, you know, you know, the stuff about her being polarizing or her having a, you know, a background where she's, you know, co-wrote a book with Mike Hudima or something, which people always bring up. I don't think Who she, even, I think she like, I think she wrote the foreword in the book, first of all, and yeah. second of all, it was in university. If my, if my, yeah. uh, if my op-eds ever surface from my university, <laughs> like, I'm done, buddy, not done, but I, I, I don't stand behind them anymore. That's a, that's a, that is a, a boy, that is a young man finding his way. So I hope that we're not holding each other accountable for everything we wrote when we were 19. I will say no this, kidding. I wouldn't like, you know, Charles Adler said, Chuck and I were texting yesterday after we, we kind of got into it a little bit. And, um, and, and I texted Chuck after and I said, that was beautiful. And he said, nobody goes for beers when the players drop their gloves. And, uh, and I said the same, <laughs> the same thing would be true if Danielle Smith and Shannon Phillips are debating. Nobody's going anywhere. Nobody's changing the channel. That'd be unbelievable. I, uh, I don't know if maybe this next candidate could make some noise. He represents Edmonton Center. He's currently serving as the health critic. He came on this show a few weeks ago and threw some pretty well-landed hand grenades. <laughs> David Shepard said that the UCP couldn't run a lemonade stand when he was here. Well, you think David Shepard might take a run at the leader's chair? Let me just, I'll get to David in 
two seconds. I just want to f- close the loop on on the stuff about Shannon that we sure. were talking about. I think one of the gifts that Danielle Smith gave a lot of people in politics, and it's a weird thing to think that she was giving gifts to people like Shannon, but it it closes the book on any nonsense about people's past being an impediment to running for office because Danielle Smith had more baggage than anyone I think I've ever seen running for for a high, you know, for a role like premier and she won. So, you know, the 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 ability to push through these criticisms that people will bring about, oh, you said this or you did this three years ago, five years ago, it's over. Don't worry about it. Just talk about what you're going to do going forward. And, and that's all that matters. So um, as to David Shepard, I think David Shepard is exactly the kind of guy you want to have in your cabinet. You know, he's a he's a really smart guy, tough guy, you know, able to drop some bombs rhetorically, good turns of phrase. Uh, but I just think he's too Edmonton um, hmm. for, for to win the province. Right. He's he's the MLA for for, you know, Edmonton Center. Uh, you know, he, and this is not, this is, this is a compliment, but you know, he, he carries himself and, and dresses like an Edmontonian. You know, he has this sort of whimsical (laughs) style, you know, uh, I don't think that plays in Calgary, uh, to be perfectly frank. And, and again, that, that has to be sort of the, the, the North star for the NDP on its leadership conversation is who will expand our coalition of support and who will expand the electoral map for us in Calgary. And if the answer uh... If Sorry. the answer is no, then then that person has to be kind of pushed off your list. I didn't mean to step on your toes. I was just going to say to Johnny, I thought dressing like an Edmontonian was the Canadian tuxedo. It is, yeah. yeah. And buttoned-up collars all the way to the but, top. Button-up no collars, time. jeans, <laughs> jean jacket, dressing like an Edmontonian. We're, we're, we're skimming at you. This is fun. Do you care we're just shooting the shit, Max? Like huh? you, you and I haven't chatted for a while, and, and, and I, I, I like going through this list, and there's probably going to be some. People can throw it in the live chat if they want, if if we're missing names. Um, she would, you know, I would say that... That health minister uh, is certainly, you know, probably the most. I mean, there's finance minister, health minister, education minister. That, as far as I look at it, are kind of the three top jobs in cabinet. Uh, Sarah Hoffman has been the chair of the Edmonton Public School Board. She's been the health minister through some difficult times. Um, I don't have word on. She's my MLA. I don't. I don't know whether or not she plans on seeking the leadership, but uh, that would certainly be no joke. She'd be a formidable player. I think it's the same. Uh, box as David Shepard is in. Uh, she's obviously talented. I think she has uh, Rachel Notley's trust probably more than anyone in, in her caucus right now. But uh, picking Sarah Hoffman is a guarantee that you're going to remain in opposition, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you you simply are not going to win in Calgary with a leader that is that um, oriented towards Edmonton. I mean, you know, uh, Rachel Notley grew up in northern Alberta. You know, she she kind of could could spread her wings a little more uh, in terms of her appeal across the province, but. Sarah Hoffman is is just sort of true and through an Edmonton MLA. Uh, and I think you choose her. I, I think it probably is very satisfying to certain elements of the NDP base, you know, certainly the unions, uh, organized labor. But y- you are kind of returning the party to where it was before the 2015 election. Uh, and, and I don't think that would be a good way to go about trying to win uh, in 2027. Okay, so uh, Joe Cece, my guess is that he's not running. There's Najwan Eljanade, who's like an incredibly impressive uh, first-term MLA uh, down in Calgary. Could take a run at leadership, but but it, it might be swimming against the stream. Like, doesn't have kind of the, the tenure in the party. Not that that always matters. Um, are we missing anybody? Like, this early, let's keep in mind, like, you know, Rachel Notley's not yet even opened this race up yet, but but we happen to know on good information that some of the leadership teams are already being put together. There's flags being planted within the party. People are starting to declare their allegiances. Have we missed any, Max? 
I'm sure that people will tell me that I'm missing, that we're missing someone if we don't name them here. Um, you know, I think, especially given uh, the success that Wab Canoe had in Manitoba, I think there will there will be interest in, in a candidate who can really represent Indigenous issues. And I think there's certainly a few of those in, in the NDP caucus and, and maybe from abroad, from outside the caucus. I think that's all, you know, that's another dynamic here is that they don't have to be a sitting MLA necessarily. Uh, you know, you could have an outsider like Daniel Smith come in and, and put their name in the hat. Um, and, and who knows, you know, maybe, maybe that would work. I look, I think, potentially uh, a Ryan Jesperson candidacy might, might have some, some likes to it, you know, uh, <laughs> Max, they couldn't convince me to seek the leadership of the Alberta party. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't know that I would pass the progressive purity test to seek the leadership of the NDP. There is one name that, that we've omitted, not admitted. Uh, we're just, you know, chewing the fat here. Um, she is one of the most likable MLAs for sure. Uh, and I suspect you're going to invoke your Edmonton caveat again. Uh, Janice Irwin has one of the most sort of, what do you want to call it? I mean, her following is just so incredibly loyal. She dresses uh, she's whimsical. Got, you know, if, 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 if we start poking fun at the fact that she did a big video when she lost her cat and we only posted the video when the cat was found, let's be clear. You know, Janice Irwin's followers start to lobby our advertisers. They want them to drop their advertising. They're so pissed off that we're joking about her cat. This is how strong and loyal her following is. But does that mean that she would be an appropriate and wise choice as leader? Yeah, Janice Nation is a real thing. It no is. No question. And and she's, she's very well liked in Calgary. I can say, you know, when she came down here. A couple of years ago, I think, or maybe it was even last year for this for the Stampede. People loved her. Um, you know, she was a hit. She was the you know the the one that people gathered around, flocked towards. Um, I just don't think she passes the 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 Calgary test in terms of winning. You know, the ridings that that like Na that Najwan won. You know, the Calgary Glenmores, the Calgary Shaws, the Calgary uh, Elbows. You know, the sort of the ridings that the NDP needs to hold and then add to, which are very sort of more suburban, more, um, you know, a little more oil and gas oriented. Um, it's certainly not, uh, not as downtown as, as Janice's energy is. And it's the, honestly, it's the best energy in, in probably Canadian politics. Um, but I'm just not sure it's fit for purpose for what the NDP needs to accomplish. If they want to hold government, if they want to retrench as a sort of more ideologically, um, uh, not pure, but more ideologically vocal, Edmonton-oriented, social, social issues-oriented party. She'd be amazing, and huh. she would she would kick the government's ass all over the block on a lot of issues. But in terms of actually becoming the government, I, I just don't see how she can move the needle as much as it needs to move down here. Yeah, I think that's well said. I'm inclined to agree. David in our live chat on YouTube says the NDP needs to bring in an outsider. Uh, the problem with just having people that are already in the system is that oftentimes they don't really see the problem. You need somebody to come in with fresh eyes. I totally understand the point that David's making. And I mean, we've seen it with, you know, federal leadership campaigns as well. Sometimes you, you get people rolling in. I mean, like I think of like Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, rolling in hot, trying to become the leader of Canada's conservatives. But it, it's not unprecedented. But But to actually win... Uh, if you've not actually been an MLA or held elected office at any level, very difficult to convince, you know, quite literally uh, hundreds of thousands of party members, hundreds of thousands of people that you're the right choice. 
Yeah, especially difficult, by the way, in the NDP. Um, you know, I think conservative parties are a little more open to the idea of an outsider. Um, you know, and Danielle Smith wasn't, you know, a total outsider, obviously, because she led, you know, the Wild Rose uh, and crossed the floor to the PC. So she was, you know, they were familiar with her. But, you know, the NDP, like you say, uh, it does have a purity test. They, they guard their borders very, very carefully uh, in terms of who is in and who is out. Uh, I think that makes an outsider candidacy a difficult thing. I think it would also be useful, though, uh, to have an outsider simply to test that that border, to test that purity test and, and kind of point out that it is not the way to building uh, a winning coalition in electoral politics. I mean, I, I come from, you know, born and raised in B.C. and in B.C., the NDP there operates a little differently. They are not inherently suspicious of, of liberals, of even, you know, sort of conservatives. They 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 welcome a broader vote coalition. And it's not an accident that they are one of the most successful provincial parties in the country. It's not an accident that David Eby is probably going to win yet another majority government for that party in, in BC in the next election there. So I think they would do well to look at what the BC NDP does around its purity testing, around its you know policing of ideological borders, and try to learn how to be a little more open-minded about things, uh, about who is allowed in, who is allowed to play, and who is whose vote you're trying to attract and win? Uh, you know the, the the stuff about you know uh, you know you're not a true NDPer unless you do X Y Z. That has to go if they ever want to be in government again. It has to go. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that. I'm I'm not trying to both sides this, um, but I would say that about both parties, right? Like you know I I don't know about you, Max, but uh, you know I've I've had sort of uh, both parties, not officially. Uh, but, you know, loyalists, you know, volunteers, the hardcore members from both of those parties tell me to pound sand. Uh, and, and I'm sitting there going, I don't think you guys understand your mandate right now. If you want to form government and, and keep it, you, you got to get more people on board, not remind everybody why they're not a fit in your party. But but I digress. We've got an interesting uh pitch here from Alyssa, uh, who I happen to know is down in Calgary. Uh, she says, what about Don Iveson or Nehead Nenshi? Uh, you think either of them might be interested? This could be a straight shot to the premier's office, Max. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it, those names are, are interesting ones. I think Iveson, again, um, you know, he has the Edmonton problem. Uh, you know, he is very associated with Edmonton. Uh, you know, he, he, he lives and breathes that city. And I, from what I understand, I think he's enjoying being in the private sector and making some real money for the first time in his life. So I'm not sure that he would come back to it, but he would be immediately sort of, you know, one of the inside circle candidates. If he did, he's, he's such a good politician and such a smart guy. Nenshi, uh, you know, again, I, I get the appeal. Um, I'm not sure that his, his brand works as well in a party system, you know, part of Nenshi's appeal, part of why he won and won and won is that he breaks ideological boundaries. You know, he, he will vote with conservatives or take conservative positions on some issues, and he will take progressive issues as positions on others. He, he doesn't uh, fit the party mold. And I think it's part of why, you know, there's always been this talk about him running for the federal liberals. I think it's part of why it never happened, is that I don't think he's super duper interested in being a team player. I don't think he's super duper interested in being told by the prime minister's office that this is what you have to say, this is what you have to think. And you know, obviously, if you were the party leader, you would be calling the shots. It would be a little different, but it's still a different game than the one he is so, so good at at the municipal level. Um, and I think he he lives and breathes Calgary politics to a level um, where he may not, you know, may not be that interested in provincial politics. Um, 
but again, you know, if he were the, if he were willing to put his name on the ballot, Holy moly, that would be a game changer. Um, that would, that would, he would immediately be, I think, you know, the, the clear front runner in the, you know, are you from Calgary uh, test. Uh, he'd be the one uh, to beat. He'd be the one would, with, with due respect. My, I mean, if I was putting money on this and, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll promise this audience, I'll keep an open mind. We'll take a look at, you know, we'll, we'll interview the candidates once people start plan, you know, once they officially launch their campaigns. I mean, but if I was betting my money would be on Racky Pancholi as the next leader, not to suggest that there aren't other formidable candidates. I think Kathleen Ganley could do it and others, but, but I don't think, I think if Nenshi throws his hat in the ring, he's winning it. Uh, but, but again, he may, you know, he may laugh at, I mean, he may not even give this five seconds of thought so you know nothing's a guarantee right um we we had here glenna on our chat she says she says kevin o'leary and then she kind of spells out the sound effect like she's just has this like gurgling in her like she's just like i didn't mean to ruin glenna's breakfast as she's listening to this but she goes on to say i don't think parachuting in a candidate is the answer at all that from glenna we're hanging out with max fawcett can can we take a few more minutes of your time really enjoying this max uh i want to ask you why you think that in just a few days uh, Pierre Poliev releases a 15-minute video that has more than 3 million views. That's coming up in just a quick second. This conversation is happening because of supporters of Real Talk, like the family-owned business that is Friesen Brothers, Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned since 1965, and they're celebrating 68 years of proudly serving Alberta communities. Uh, they first opened their doors, pardon me, 1955. They've been working to bring Albertans a unique Alberta food experience and the comfort of home to all of their Friesen Brothers locations. It started as a butcher shop in the gateway to the Rockies, Hinton, Alberta. Uh, the organization has grown to represent 16 stores, providing jobs to more than 1,000 Albertans from Manning in the north to Drumheller in the south. You can find out more about the history of this amazing family-owned business by checking out Friesen.com slash history. You know, I told you about this lunch that I shared with the founder of Complete Care Restoration, Kelly. Kelly's telling me about this new initiative that they've been working on. They are a BMO climate smart business, a BMO climate smart business. That means they're climate smart certified. You go, well, what, what does that mean when it comes to disaster restoration, like hazardous material removal? Well, this company, Complete Care Restoration, is the first in the province to be certified this way. And that means that they're averaging over 70% of the debris from demolitions is being recycled. I said to Kelly, 71%. Like you can imagine stuff that's been burned out, flooded, mildew, mold, all kinds of gnarly stuff, sewer backups. I mean, I'm sorry again to go there, but facts are facts. This is real talk. I go, give me an idea on what your competitors are doing. What portion, if you're recycling 71% on average, how about your competitors? He says, zero. If you want to go with a company that believes in protecting the planet, next time disaster strikes, you remember Complete Care Restoration. And I want to give a big shout out as well to the team at Eden Landscaping. Uh, talking about Don Ivis tonight, I don't think he'd mind me name dropping this. You know who hired Eden Landscaping this summer to do his backyard? Yeah, that's right. His worship, the former mayor. Why not be like Donnie? The next time you're thinking about bringing your outdoor space to life, take five seconds and check out landscapeedmonton.ca. You can browse their site for examples. I mean, this is proof of performance, how they've done amazing work in the Metro Edmonton region for more than 20 years and what it might look like to work with them. They're great listeners. I can attest as much. We've worked with them as well, proudly, and we give their service two thumbs up. That's Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. 
Ca. Be like Don. Be like Big D. Be like Big D. I said to him, I said, hey, I said, I want to know. Like, I want to be able to talk about when we have sponsors and we have partners of the show and, and real life people are spending real life money yeah. with these sponsors. I said, I said, How, what kind of a job did they do? He just looks at me. He says, it's unbelievable. And your so backyard looks great. They did a beautiful job. Looks Still great as well. haven't been over. We're excited about it. Yeah, we're just waiting. For Come the on. Right, we're waiting for the right time, Johnny. We, we want a nice dusting of snow in the yard <laughs> so I can have you over for an outdoor fire. All hey, right, we're going to get back to, to Max. Video. In a quick second, we're obviously not going to play this 15-minute video, but I do want to play the opener, okay? So Pierre Pouliev puts this out. You know affordability right now. Uh, this is what the pollsters are telling us is the number one issue on Canadians' radar. Affordability. And for a lot of people, that includes affordable housing. So Pouliev puts out a 15-minute video. We're just going to play the opener in just a few days. Three million views already. Take a look. Something new and strange has happened in Canada. Canada is sitting on probably one of the largest housing bubbles of all times. Something we haven't seen before. An entire generation of youth now say they will never be able to afford a home. This is not normal for Canada. We've got students who are living in their vehicles because they couldn't find a place to live. Tens of thousands of Canadians could default, Moshe, on their mortgages. And are, are we looking at that kind of nightmare scenario. After generations of affordable and stable Canadian home prices, it now takes 66% of the average monthly income to make payments on the average single detached Canadian house. Given that most of the remaining 34% of the family paycheck is taken up by taxes, there's literally nothing left for food and recreation. And that all assumes that you have enough for a down payment to get the mortgage in the first place. Saving up for that down payment in Toronto now takes an average of 25 years. Not long ago, you paid off a mortgage in that time. So young people must rent, but rent has doubled in the last eight years. Newlyweds now pay $1,000 per month to rent a single room in a townhouse that they share with two other couples. 35-year-olds live in their parents' basements. Rents are so high in Toronto that students live in homeless shelters. Others sleep in their cars or even under bridges just to afford to go to university. One grandmother posted signs on hydro poles trying to find a place to live. Middle-class people like nurses and carpenters now live in their vehicles. Tent cities are popping up in almost every major city and many small towns in Canada, mostly in places that never had them before. And because homeless shelters are overflowing with people, new refugees are now told to live on the streets and under bridges. Like all countries, we've always had problems. Throughout Canada's past, though, almost anyone who got a job could save up and buy a home by their mid-20s. When did all that change? About. Okay, so there you have it. When did it all change? And and from there, the visuals take you back to 2015, the year that uh, Justin Trudeau was elected prime minister, of course, defeating Stephen Harper. First off, Max, from a production value standpoint, uh, Mr. Polyev has chops as a narrator. The voiceover isn't angry. It's not sensational. It's powerful delivery. Uh, what do you make of it? Yeah, it's dynamite. Um, you know, it, I, it, the, the packaging is just so good, so well done. Um, you know, he, each one of these, these sort of slides that he sort of presents here, you know, cause they're all these different slides, uh, is something that they can use, his people can use on social, his followers, his supporters, they're, they're all little pieces of political ammunition that they can throw back in the government's face or the, or the, the supporters of the government. It's very, very well done. Um, you know, I think I think the sort of conventional wisdom is that this this shouldn't work, right? It's very wonkish. 
got a bunch of charts. It's about, you know, the economy. He even gets into monetary policy at one point. Uh, and he's wrong about, about some of the stuff in here. You know, he, he draws some pretty spurious correlations, but it, it really is well-packaged and it's well-packaged for the media environment that he understands, I think, and his team understands better than the liberals right now. Um, they under the, you know, the Polyev team understands viral social media. They understand that they have an army of supporters in the United States of, you know, influencers and key people who will give this the boost that it needs to get those millions of views. But, you know, I, I think he diagnoses a problem that the liberals have not taken seriously uh, for, for, up until really like eight months ago. And, you know, I had been banging the drum, hitting the alarm bell, whatever, you know, metaphor you want to use. Uh, and it just wasn't really getting taken seriously by them. And, and he understood how existential this is for young people. Uh, you know, I had someone on Twitter say, well, you know, uh, what about climate change? Like, how can young people vote for someone who doesn't care about climate change? And it's, I have to tell them, like, if you can't afford to buy a house, buy a condo, if you're sort of, all, you know, an increasing por portion of your monthly budget is going to shelter, stuff that's going to happen down the road really isn't that important. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you know, you drive your car uh, down the metaphorical road of life. If there's a moose that jumps out in front of you, you deal with the moose. You don't worry about the curve that's down the road. Um, and he gets that. And, and so, you know, there's parts of this, the idea that it started in 2015 is, is absolute nonsense. I mean, you know, he, 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 there's a bit in here about how Vancouver only became a bubble in 2015. Let me tell you, friend, Vancouver was a bubble in 2015. And ironically, he cites a, a bank called UBS for his, for his bubble stats. UBS came out with a report in 2015 saying that Vancouver was the bubbliest city in the world. So he's clearly sort of trying to make this all Trudeau's fault when this has been brewing for probably 10 or 15 years. Um, you know, the Harper government houses increased, housing prices increased substantially. But look, the, the Trudeau liberals have been in power for eight years. At a certain point, if you broke it, you bought it. Um, and they've kind of bought it here. Uh, so, you know, this, I think people are going to be studying this in terms of political communications uh, and trying to replicate this, but, but it will be hard. He set the bar uh, pretty darn high with, with this production. I do think, I just want to make one point. It's really interesting to me that, that he constantly takes a crap on the mainstream media uh, whenever he has the opportunity to. But every single clip, every single piece of political material in this, you know, every chart, every story, every video <laughs> is from the mainstream media. I think this one is from CTV. I saw one from Global. I saw a bunch from uh, Canadian Press, The Globe and Mail, CBC. So it's just very interesting that, that you know, when it comes to making his, his masterful sort of closing argument on housing, he uses nothing but mainstream media clips. Mm. It's a good and valid and important point that you make. So the question is, what does the prime minister do to return fire? How, how does he captivate the public and, and lead people to believe that he is the most capable point person to handle Canada's housing crisis? You don't have to look far down the prime minister's Twitter timeline to, to find him talking about their record on housing. This from uh, December 4th, just this week says we're working to build more homes faster since September says the prime minister, our housing accelerator fund has unlocked the construction of more than a hundred thousand homes across the country from Kelowna to Halifax. And we're fast tracking that construction too. People will say, well, it's easier to oppose than it is to govern. Uh, do you feel like the prime minister's on the right track here? Or would you completely shake it up if, if you were his chief of staff or directing his communications? I mean, the polling data, still shows that young people are 
voting for or intending to support the conservatives at a level they've never shown before. So I don't think that it is working uh, to the to the, you know, in fairness, there's really nothing he could do uh, over the course of a few months that would change the housing market in, in Canada. I mean, it is it is the product of, of global factors. And, and I hear that from from liberal supporters all the time. It's not their fault. Uh, it's happening in, in other places. And, and that's true. But when it's when you're the prime minister, it's your problem to fix. Um, and so I, I would I would encourage him and his team to acknowledge, look, we took our eye off the ball here. Um, you know, we were busy fighting a pandemic. We were busy, busy trying to make sure the economy didn't go into free fall. We were busy trying to make sure people didn't die. Uh, we were busy trying to to deal with climate change. And, and we, we let this slip down our list of priorities. But the question is not who can diagnose the problem. The question is who can solve the problem. And I think that is where they need to focus their attentions. And doing the things that they're doing is helpful, but they need to go so much bigger. Um, and and the, the, you know, their recent fall economic update, they had an opportunity to go big. They didn't. Hmm. Yeah, they didn't. They're still tinkering. They're still um, you know, kind of working at the margins when they need to be expanding the entire picture, um, throwing everything that they have at this problem in the same way they threw everything at COVID. Uh, and I think until young people see the same level of commitment and determination to protecting their livelihoods and their futures as they saw to protecting, uh, you know, uh, older people and people with compromised immune systems, they're not going to come back to the liberal family. They're not going to come back in under the tent. Uh, they need to see more than just housing accelerator funds. They need to see the prime minister and his team moving heaven and earth to make sure that they can afford to have some sort of a future, some sort of a home in our major cities. Max Fawcett is the lead columnist at Canada's National Observer. You can support him and his team's work on vital climate journalism by subscribing at nationalobserver.com. And of course, you can follow Max on Twitter at Max Fawcett. It's always so fun to chat with you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for giving us a full hour. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, I love doing these sort of full hour shows. So let's do it again. You bet. We love to let it breathe. Talk it out. Go to the live chat and, of course, as you know, invite you to send us an email of what we've said here today or maybe what we've not said uh, has resonated with you. Go ahead and shoot us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. What would what would impress you? And Max says he's you know, the prime minister's got to send a message to young people that he's taking this number one as seriously or more seriously as Pierre Polyev is. And number two, as seriously as the government took COVID, you know, this is a crisis situation. I I sort of think of like, I know it's not the same thing, but President Jimmy Carter (laughs) swinging hammers on the build sites at Habitat for Humanity, right? Like people like to see, I'm not laughing. I mean, he's a, what an amazing uh, individual. Um, But, uh, you know, you sort of, you you look at that model, like people want to see politicians swinging hammers and talking to folks that can't afford housing right now. Well, I think if Trudeau's got a chance in hell, and right now we're talking about it, like if there was an election today, this video alone is is a slam dunk. And I think Max is right. Like the liberals just have to own this and be like, hey, we had some other things on the docket. We let this slip, but here's what we're going to do and have a real plan because I think, yeah, the video is great. I want to I want to just talk about the video because as soon as I saw it, I knew Max would have some thoughts on it because there is I mean, there's a lot of facts in it. But there is when they're talking about landmass, like, OK, we can't build houses in none of it or any of these places that are uninhabitable, like the majority of the metropolitan areas in Canada, they're all close to the border or genuinely close to the U.S., right? So there was a lot of things that were a stretch in that video. But, I mean, if you're someone who 
and I'll say it right now. I scholastically do not match up to nobody who comes on the show. But in general, if you're a 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old who's coming to figure out what they're going to do with their life, maybe they're getting out of school, they're looking at their school debt, and then they're looking ahead 5, 10 years yeah. at houses, and they're saying, I can never afford one. I'm going to live in a train cart in my parents' backyard in Vancouver or wherever. Those things matter. And they hit hard. And it might get these people who I know a lot of young people aren't voting and the ones that are maybe voting conservative. That video is a slam dunk, whether it gets fact checked or not. Yeah. And the liberals have got to do something. They've got to come back with something. They cannot just let sleeping dogs lie here. They no, and if you're a something. coach, you're telling your team as well, uh, you, you, you can't be reactive to everything. You've got to be proactive. You can't yeah. come across looking like you're, Where's re your video? you're responding to everything, yeah. right? So, so and, and it is about more than just videos. Like, you know, Dave in the chat says, I like to see politicians doing actual work. I don't like when they show up and take a few photos with a shiny hard hat. Fair enough. I mean, it's yeah. all it's all optics. It's all manipulation. It's says all here. branding. It's, it, it's, it is. That's a fact. Yeah. But, you know, it, people people want to feel like they can trust, you know, Dwayne knows his Polyev's a career politician. Like, what does he know about struggles? His political pension will be massive. Sure. Um, eh, I don't know if I want to go down this road right now, but have you, have you seen people were criticizing? What was Chuck Meat Singh carrying around? Was it a Prada bag yeah. or a Gucci Prada? Yeah. I think it was. Um, and they're and, always you know, talking about his watch. Well, whatever he goes, oh, he's got a Rolex yeah. and whatever. And like, to be honest, number one, I don't have a problem with that. You, whatever you want, that's fine. If you, if you have the means, maybe it was a gift. I don't know. I'm not going to crack on somebody for that. But it, it is like, it's for me, I'm not a, I'm not an NDP supporter. So I think it's funny. I think it's funny mm -hmm. that like the most prominent, uh, you know, probably the face of whatever you want to refer to the NDP as, but like, you know, I mean, people was the lazy characterization would just be socialists, mm -hmm. but, but that their leader is rolling around in a $30,000 watch. I think it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, and photographed with like a Prada bag, but also like, what do you expect them to like the leader of the NDP has got to walk around in burlap sacks. He's yeah. going to like cut some holes in an old coffee bag people and like, like throw, nice things. you know, and also, you know, politics needs to draw talented and skilled people. And a lot of those people have found success in private industry. Mm -hmm. I mean, Paul Martin, the prime minister, was wealthy beyond belief. I, I believe it was a shipping uh, company that he had established or sold before he was prime minister. You don't, you don't crack on people for having, uh, you know, real world lived industry experience. I think right? that's a positive. Yeah. But it is also very valuable to have the perspective of elected officials that grew up in really tough circumstances 100%. where they didn't know where the next meal was coming yeah. from, where they didn't have appropriate footwear in the winter. And it makes me think of the kids that that's the reality right now. And I encourage all of you this month to do whatever you can to support the nonprofits and the, the community agencies mm -hmm. in your neck of the woods. Uh, but, but all perspectives are valuable. Like, you know, people were talking about Janice Irwin, for example, to circle back to that. I saw some folks in the live chat saying she would be an amazing education minister. Totally agree. Incredible. And one of the reasons, yeah. not all of them, but one of the reasons I think so is that Janet knows what it's like to grow up queer and deal with a lot of the bullshit 100%. that comes as a result mm -hmm. of that, right? So so that's one example of many where I think it's good. You need to have politicians, you know, hopefully they become the health minister that have either fought cancer or knows somebody who has, mm -hmm. that knows somebody that waited 18 months for a hip replacement. Okay. You want to have somebody, a finance minister that obviously knows what the hell they're talking about uh, when it comes to balancing budgets. Lived, or, lived experience. Right? Yeah. And, and, and again, <laughs> I hope I'm saying his name. Is it Zane or X-I-A-N? Like everyone's opinion matters, and and he he or she is saying in here, you know, this video really, you know, you'll relate to it if you're dumb. 
you know, I'll say it, but like there are average people out there, people like I was talking about students and people who are educated and maybe looking for home, but there's average people, people in trades, people, we need people to do every job on earth. And those average people, when they see this video from Pierre and when they see, like you said, sing with his Prada bag, what do you think they're going to think? Right. Yeah. And these young people coming up, they don't, (laughs) well, a lot of them don't have a lot of interest in politics. And this is the kind of stuff that they relate to. Like Max said, Pierre's team knows how to focus in on social media, on viral content, and I feel like the liberals have a big team and whoever is doing that part of their job is not doing their job. I totally agree with you, 100%. This this thing, when I saw it online, I was like, this is a slam dunk. Whether it was full of lies or not, the charts, the graphs, the the clips, all of it. Well, there's people, you know, some of the critics are saying, oh, yeah, it's three million views. Three million views by bots. Dumb people buy it. Don't fool yourself. (laughs) Don't fool yourself and don't underestimate it or underestimate it at least at your own peril. Uh, Before we go, wanted to let you know that there's another fresh episode of The Discourse that's out featuring our good friends, Cheryl Oates and Erica Baroudis. You can find The Discourse anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to their channel on YouTube. We're going to punch it into the show notes of this episode of Real Talk. Uh, Here's the background. If you're not familiar, Erica Baroudis, the former principal secretary for Premier Danielle Smith, Cheryl Oates, the former director of communications for then Premier Rachel Notley, and they tapped one of their former bosses on the shoulder for a very unique start to this episode. Given the fact that they've lost now two court cases on constitutional issues saying that they have to stay in their own lane, what I'm wondering is why it is that they keep on barreling ahead with this rather than backing down and respecting the Constitution. I think it's reasonable to say they're probably wondering the same thing about Danielle Smith. Like, I think across the board, especially in Alberta, um, every party, including the opposition, the government and stakeholders have all said the clean energy regulations as proposed are just not going to work. Yeah, I also see Guibault like not backing down. This is kind of like seems like a legacy piece for him and that there is a lot of falling on deaf ears that we've seen to this point. So, you know, if we're coming to why did the, the government do it now, I think it was the symbolic gesture in which is the Sovereignty Act to say, you know, listen clearly, why won't the federal government let the 2035 go? And I mean, you have a NDP leader here, Rachel Notley, who also seems to tie, you know, be tied to this 2035. So again, like, where do you see even the NDP going with this? Um, Or where are they going to distance themselves from, if at all, from the federal government's position? Well, they have distanced themselves. And I think you've seen Rachel Notley do that in the way that she has since she became leader of the party, which is a really thoughtful look at the regulations and a detailed submission on what she thinks could be better. The NDP in Alberta is not saying the clean energy regulations are awesome and we should move forward with them and Daniel Smith is wrong in opposing them. They're saying there are very specific pieces of this that could be done better if we want to decarbonize our grid by 2035. And the NDP is also saying that if we want to be a net zero province by 2050, this is a necessary step. Experts have backed that up in terms of getting there. There you have it. That's Cheryl Oates and Erica Brudis fielding a question submitted to their show by the current Premier of Alberta, Danielle Smith. Again, you can subscribe to the discourse on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on tomorrow's Real Talk, we're going to sit down with Dave Berta. You know Dave. 
Dave's been commenting on Alberta politics for years. His blog, easily the most read when it comes to Alberta political discourse. We'll get into the NDP. He believes that maybe a name change might serve them well. We'll talk about COP. And of course, we'll get to some of your emails submitted to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Real Talk. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.